Welcome back to the Champagne Rugby Podcast, where today I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Malone. Adam, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Amos. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Been we have a good guest stand week. today as well. Yeah, and more importantly, guys, uh, we are excited to speak with legendary rugby player and now coach, Nick Evans. Nick's played for the All Blacks, the Blues and the Harlequins, to, make, to name a few, and is known for his strategic kicking and passing skills. Today, we'll be discussing Nick's experiences as a player and coach, his thoughts on the current state of rugby, and his future aspirations. This pr promises to be an engaging conversation with one of the best rugby players of all time. Nick, how you doing? <laughs> Very kind there, mate. I don't know about a couple of those statements. Uh, strategic kicking. Yeah, interesting. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm very, very happy to, to be on the podcast, guys. It's a pleasure to have you on. So what, what's your week looked like uh, so far in, in, the, in the boots of Nick Evans? Um, so what are we, we're, we're kind of heading towards the uh, the business end of the season for us back in the Premiership. So um, we've got a couple of games to go uh, this week. We're preparing for Bath. Um, we're a bit of a unique position for us. We've got to rely on a few results going our way. So I think Friday night we'll all be glued to Northampton, Newcastle and hope the, the Falcons to do it, can do a job uh, for us against Northampton, which will give us a chance against Bath. And then it'll, that'll take it to the last game of the season. So... Uh, yeah, so yeah, just kind of really preparing for that. Really, it's been a good, been a good week, um, and I've only been back in since I've, you know, been away with England for for, for eight to ten weeks. Um, so it's nice being back in uh, the Queen's environment. And how was that experience away with England uh, during the Six Nations? I know you were out there on loan uh, for a short period there, doing some uh, backs coaching with Steve Borthwick. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, I think uh, you, you know I've definitely come back a better coach. It was a, it was great to get into a different environment. I think one thing I've been at the club Quinns for fifteen years now, so for me to to experience a different environment, albeit uh, international level, was was absolutely priceless for me. So learning off uh, off Steve uh, and Kev, obviously they see the game maybe a little bit different to the way I do, which was which was actually brilliant. Um, learning you know like the tactical side of the game and. Just being exposed to international level, um, you know, players having to coach guys like Owen Farrell, you know, 100 test, you know, test match players, you know, British Lions as well. So, uh, you yeah, know, it was, it was absolutely brilliant, you know, hard work. You don't get a lot of time and um, you're straight into test week. So, you know, that was fascinating. Yeah. And um, you mentioned there a coaching with Kevin Sinfield. Like he's obviously known as one of the best defence coaches around. What was it like to pick his brain and how did that improve your attack coaching ability? Yeah, Kev's Kev's brilliant. I mean, um, he's just like a superhuman being. You know, it's um, he's you know he like runs these marathons, all the charity work does. I mean, I go for a twenty minute walk every morning, um, and he's he's running half marathons every other day or marathons every other day. Um, you know, he does an amazing charity work. Um, I think we sponsor a penguin. I think I've got it on the fridge there, maybe or something. So. Yeah, like he he's brilliant, um, and he's got a fantastic mind when it comes to defence. Um, you know, having obviously played you know rugby league, he's an absolute legend in that game. Um, he's he's brilliant, um, and he and he's he's really kind of humble around. You know, he, he knows he doesn't know everything about rugby. Um, you know, but he's he's got his philosophies, um, and he's inspirational as well. You know, really learning about how he gets his message across to players. So, yeah, it was great to work with uh, with Kevin. He's a good bloke too. So, 
yeah, he's, he's got the trifecta. He's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like the defence coaches is really built on emotion, isn't it? That like the team embodies kind of part of their philosophy, really embodies their philosophy. What yeah. do you think about that? hundred uh, percent. I think um yeah, the, you know, even even at even at Quinn's, which um which is a tough gig, you know, Jerry, as you will know, you know, he he coaches the defense, which which, you know, is tough in a in a in a club that's really attack minded. Um but you're you're right, you have to get the emotion, you have to get the emotion right because you know, defense is, is, is very system based. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of the time it's black and white and you need to get in position and you're asking guys to to you know, go under the bus and put the body where it hurts and, and, and be ultra physical. So that emotive side is is very important. Um, and that's not taking away the fact, you know, attack, you need that emotion as well. And it's poss- possibly delivered in a different way. Um, but, you know, certainly Kevin, Kevin was brilliant at that. And, you know, he, it's, it's about bringing the experiences that he's had um, and the emotion that he's had in the past and bringing that to the players. And, and certainly when he spoke, you could see, you could see, you know, the guys are really listening and hanging on every word and believing every word he was, he was saying, which was brilliant. Okay. And which, which of the players are more, the more emotional ones when it comes to like the defense and everything, the ones that really get involved that kind of stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, um, you're asking me about a, a side of the game that probably I don't know too much. I don't have to do too much defending. When I was uh, I was at ten, you know, back in back in my day, you could just dive in behind the line a little bit and not make a tackle or corner flag. So, um, you know, have, yeah, I think obviously, obviously the Ford Pack take a massive lead in that. Um, and and it's it's it'll be interesting. And I know most clubs probably do it, but they'll have defence leaders, and it's probably operated around your back row and your centres will probably be your defence leaders. You probably have your type five will be a set piece and. You know your halfbacks will drive your attack. Um, so your kind of back row and your centres are predominantly you're going to be your defence leaders, and, and they'll they'll lead that that emotion during the week. So you know th- those guys being involved in the buy-in around right, what's the defensive system? You know where are we going to jackal around the field? You know who's going to be doing it? Um, and the messages that'll be led because I think you know if you just rely on a defence coach to yell it, not so much yelling and screaming, but drive that. Um, I think it's it's much more. Uh, you know the intensity can come from the players as well, uh, especially when they lead it. So you know, certainly around the background centres play a big part in that. Yeah, you mentioned there that like the defence wasn't your thing. So yeah, obviously the attack. How was it in England when you had like you obviously had different weapons at your disposal? Like Queens, you obviously have like Smith and you have Esther Hayes in, and then you have like the speedsters out the back and everything. For England, you had uh, some guys with similar characteristics, but then obviously you were dealing with the likes of like Owen Farrell as well, uh, Maro Atoje in the pack. You would like Jack Willis. Like how how did it change your philosophy and attacking with England compared to Harlequins? Obviously, it's club rugby international as well. Yeah, I think I think if you take that aside um, and and just look, it's uh, it was it was really challenging because I think you've got uh, a style. Uh, that the England that England was playing, um, and the style that we play at Quinns, and the, and the style that we play at Quinns is 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 very different. Is is you know, um, you know, it's it's a lot of it's built around uh, speed and pace, and it's probably leaning it, leaning it more towards international international rugby. It's 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 harder to kind of implement that kind of game plan, especially, you know, I only had a week really with the players before we were leading into that Scotland, um, that Scotland week to prep for that, um, to to basically uh, install a. Uh, an attacking system, um, you know, and you know the language that we we're going to use, and 
and the you know starter plays that we're going to use things like that and one of the big things i learned was that you just don't have a lot of time so um it was it was making sure that we got the main things main things that we need to get across right um and then just try and add on from there um so it was it was that was probably the toughest part is i couldn't you know you can't really just go in there and go right we're just going to take the quinn's blueprint and just throw it at a group of players that don't really live it um you know some live it in some clubs maybe you know you look at irish and saints and things like that but a lot of clubs play a lot differently so the unique way that we play at quinn's is we live we live that style of rugby. Um, it's not just what we play. It's we live it, our language, um, you know, our actions around the club uh, all, all buy into our attacking mindset and and how we do things. So uh, that was certainly a challenge. Um, and obviously, you just, as I said before, you just don't have a lot of time. So it was fascinating to, to try and get some of my ideas across. I probably wanted to try and get a little bit more, but, um, you know, they just in the end, there just wasn't enough time and we had to, we had to nail our legs to the mask on a few things and and, and we did that um, and we got some good results from that 100% and something you said there a couple of times language a lot of teams go teaming T-H-E-M-E they're like language and things would Quinns do things like that at the start of the year he'd set up the stall at like where a Formula 1 team for example and all the words correlate with that or is it more off the cuff um, no we, we have done that we, we have done that um we're, and with varying degrees of success, um, I think uh, the last couple of years, we've just tried to make it really simple. And probably what I mean around language is, is not so much theming, which is important. And we, we, we do that a little bit. We'll, we'll drop a little bit of theming in, maybe around a few game plans, maybe around certain little areas, um, but not so much around a whole attack, my whole attacking system. I think what we do around our language is, is making sure that like all areas of the game, you know, we're an attack minded club. So, you know, I can use our kicking strategy, um, which we use is, is all around, uh, we'll have all attacking connotations associated to it. You know, we, we you won't hear a lot of, um, you know, kicking to transfer pressure or, or kicking to, you know, buy time and things like that. It'll be, you know, the way we kick will be related to how we attack. Um, you know, we're kicking to attack, we're defending to attack, we're set piecing to attack. And that doesn't always mean throwing the ball around and, um, you know, playing really fast and speed over shape and all that. It might be, you know, we might be wanting to slow the game down and, you know, Bob and Jerry have, have got a, a good plan around our scrum. We're going to use our scrum to buy penalties and, you know, we're going to attack off those, whether it be quick taps or, or kicking into the corner. So I think for us around language is, is living and breathing what we are as a club and our identity as a club. And we're an attack-minded club, you know, where I think we're the, one of the only clubs probably the only club that has entertained in its kind of identity and mission statement and purpose, you know, we, we want to entertain. Um, it's part of our vision. So, you know, certainly we, we buy into that and we live it. And um, if you don't live it, then you don't, you're not going to fully buy into it. You're not going to produce it on the field. So I think language for us is certainly everything we live by. Um, and, that, and that's, that's great. It's kind of cool because you, you can certainly go back to that and, you know, did we, did we entertain? Did we, did we live to, to be true to who we are? Yes or no, it's, it, it could be pretty simple. And there with kicking, you said that it's not to transfer pressure. So what are you saying? Like exploit the space with the kick, attack the space with the kick? What kind of language would you use? Yeah, so so I think like we um so we'll talk about um like how, how we kick is is, is how we to try how we're going to try and produce a, another attacking scenario for ourselves. So we'll have various kicking strategies. So I can you know if we're going to go box kicking off nine um you know if in certain areas of the field we'll be looking to create transition. So our kicking will uh, our kicking strategy will be all about creating transition um, through our wingers getting up and tapping, or if we're 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 
tackling and and we're tackle firing we're we're going over and creating a, a breakdown turnover there so we're having a mindset of the players that we're not just kicking for the sake of kicking we're not asking our forwards to run up and down the field they know at some point that our back three are going to have a crack and so they're just locked and loaded they're doing the yards in the middle of the field waiting for that moment um we have we have really good attacking kickers um so like you said before exporting space um exporting weaknesses in the backfield or weaknesses on the edge that's a that's a big um, opportunity for us in our in our attacking system. So, making sure that we're we're set our, our we're filling the field. Um, you know, we're all looking and communicating to space and, and waiting for those opportunities. And um, yeah, I think it's just it's it's and it's not saying it's wrong transferring pressure and and teams use it. And this is the beauty of rugby. There's all different ways of playing the game, and that's what I love about it. Probably the Premiership epitomizes that. Is you know you've got you've got you know, three or four teams that play like Leicester, you know, like Sale to a certain extent, Sarries probably probably play a little bit more. Um, but then you've got Irish, Bristol, ourselves that play differently, Exeter play position based. You know, it's it's brilliant. There's all different types of ways of playing and, you know, they all have different languages and, and how they see the game, which is great. Yeah. How how do you think um how do you think the game has changed from when you were playing in your heyday to nowadays? And how do you think the t- kind of strategies and tactics have changed? From there, uh, that's a good question. Um, it's got a lot more complicated. I think we've made it a lot more complicated. I think um, back when I played, when I came to Quinn, certainly uh, we were the old school round the corner team, and we could be that. We, we had some decent forwards, but it was basically just get around the corner until we got some remnants of quick ball or Danny Kidd tried to make a break, and we just kind of played off that and and um, yeah, just, just tried to play as fast as as fast as we could. Um, I think um, I think there's there can be a bit of a bit of death by detail and death by shape. Um, you know, everyone's fa- uh, fast fixated is probably the right word on, on on shape, which is really important. You know, every team has it, um, and it is really important. Um, but I think you can see some teams get really really bogged down and and um, detailed on you know when you get quick ball and the, and the opportunities are there, it's still you know just trying to get it into shape and you're almost slowing yourself down. Um, so certainly that, that that's changed. Um, from when I first came over in 08 to, to where we are now, um, just the, the the level of kind of detail around around the shape, and I guess that's the evolution of of, of attacking systems. And um, it's great; it, it is fun. It's fun to coach, um, you know, diving in and out of shape and to speed and, and and set piece and and things like that. But certainly, the game has has got a lot more physical and um, you know a lot more maybe complicated complicated around laws and interpretations and things like that. But um, I think I think the product that we still see is for the most part brilliant, you know, especially in the premiership. You know, we 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 see great games, we see high scoring games, we see teams that are have a real positive positive attitude to, to go out and score tries. Yeah. So um you mentioned there about the attacking and the shape versus speed. So like what do you think is the next evolution of attack? So obviously when like back in the early 2000s, it would have been all speed, speed, speed. Then it kind of got into shape. Now it's shape and speed. Like, what's the next evolution do you see coming? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I think, um, you know, certainly we, you know, my, my big philosophy is speed over shape. Um, and it's not saying we don't have we don't have um, shape, but like certainly we, we, with the team that we have and the philosophy we have, we just try and take teams things to a point where they um they can't handle the speed and we we can operate at that level um it'll certainly be i think most for the most part be governed by how the laws 
uh, maybe are adapted or hopefully not adapted and, and not changed. Um, you know, we've we've had a kind of laws that have that have favoured the defensive side uh, around the breakdown. We've had laws now where like you know teams can exploit the breakdown a bit more. Um, you know, like you see, um, you know, teams are, are defending more 13, 14 in the front line, which which makes it hard for the for the attacking team, which means you know opening up a lot more back backfield space, which you can see why teams are starting to kick more. Um, you know, line speeds a big a, a big factor in um, in defenses now. So, how do you how do you exploit line speed? You know, you certainly see a lot of the top teams in the world now. Um, you know, South Africa are probably leading that with that line speed. Um, you know, Ireland as well. You know, you know, teams are putting putting a lot more line speed on, which which does make it tough, um, but also gives gives different ways to, of exploiting and and also just the I guess the makeup of players. Um, players are getting bigger, faster, stronger. Contacts are going to be bigger. Um, tackle heights are going to change. So, look, all these things are going to come in, and, and all these things are going to uh, play over the next kind of couple of years, and, and we'll see what happens at the World Cup. We'll see if this new red card comes in in the next in the next year or so um, with the orange card and yeah. players coming back on in twenty minutes uh, after twenty minutes, which will which I think is a good uh, you know is, is is a good thing. Um, you know, we don't want we don't want to see you know just for you know maybe an ac- an accident. Um, you know, someone having a, a game getting ruined um, for, for that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I can give you an answer really. I don't know what it's going to look like, but um, certainly from my point of view, you're going to, you know, we're going to have to adapt and and try and fulfill our philosophies and and, and how we see the game going. It's exciting, a hundred percent, definitely. That's pretty exciting. And um, I think something that's come into play a lot over the last year, now you guys pioneered it, and I think the French team do as well, is kicking on the front foot. So before, like, you'd obviously be like, okay, the ball's gone slow, we'll do a box kick, or the ball's gone slow, we'll put up a bomb. <clears throat> a lot of teams now are kicking on the front foot. Marcus Smith, Roman Intimac are probably two best players in the world at doing it. Like, how did that come about? Yeah, I think that's um, it's 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 certainly. I think I think Finn Russell does it pretty well as well. I think in Scotland, he's does Finn. it really well. Apologies, no, Finn. no, no. Finn, <laughs> Finn does it really well. I think, uh, and I think, and, and you know, Johnny as well. I think Johnny, Johnny for Ireland do it. I think that the, most of the top tens do it really well. And I think it is, it is a very hard skill, and um, there's a, there's a bit of a lot of trust around it as well because, um, especially if you're a young fly half, and it's certainly we, we we talk about with Marcus and our young tens is is there's always this natural feel of when you've got you've got quick ball and you're you're playing fast and sometimes you kind of lose where you are you're not lose where you are in the field but the, the where you are in the field is kind of irrelevant and you feel like you have to keep playing because you just think that next phase is is the one that's going to get the get the opportunity to make a break or an uh, or a or a defender's going to get broken um but quite often um you know you can be selling yourself into a into a trap and teams will teams will give up a little bit of gain line or a bit of a little bit of yardage on the edge to trap you in a 15 or a five and make it really easier to defend those next couple of phases. So it's really picking on when those opportunities are and having trust um, that your tens can recognize that, but obviously you need help from your outsides and, you know, it's something we're working really hard on, on our outsides and centers is visualizing and <clears throat> seeing that space in the backfield and seeing, seeing pictures when, when they feel teams are going to try and try and um, stop us. Uh, on the edge or, or or through the middle and, and look for that backfield space and I think I think sometimes you know having too much p- position can sometimes be a um, a bit of a curse and um, yeah just just making sure that you you keep turning turning forwards and and exploiting that backfield space. Yeah, that's interesting actually to say about young teens because when you were actually starting off, you were a young fullback, weren't you? 
I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. I um I played 10 all throughout my younger younger years, but um, yeah, my first kind of, well, my first test was at fullback. Uh, my first super rugby contract for the Highlanders were, were was at fullback as well. So it was certainly something I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed moving back there, um, but uh, 10 was always in my blood and I always felt a little bit too far away from the ball at fullback. I, I like to get my hands on the ball and try and manipulate as much as, as, as where I can and create, you know, the creative side of the game was the biggest part. I got the most joy was the biggest part. I got the joy it wasn't so much finishing tries and things like that, but the creation I used to love creating tries, um, putting people through, um, you know, new gaps and manipulating space. So, you know, being 10 allowed me to do that a little bit more, but certainly 15 gave me a, a good uh, awareness of what the outsides need um, and, and the space that they need and how I can help them with that. Yeah. And um, when you say that your first test was at fullback, like who would have been the ten that day or the twelve? Who would have been the? Oh, good question. Uh, I think I think it was Carlos. I think it was two thousand and four. So I think um, yeah, show my age. King Carlos. Yeah, um, King Carlos. Yeah, I think um, I think Carlos or Mertz was. Um, were, I think they were playing in two thousand and four. That was my first test. It was down in Dunedin, uh, where I just played for uh, my first year of Super Rugby for for the Highlanders. So. It was great to run out in Carisbrook as it was, and you know, full full stadium of my home, kind of my home franchise. So, so that was brilliant. Um, and it was against England. It was against England after that, after they had just won the World Cup. So, um, I, it was actually when I was in the England camp. Um, Richard Hill, he was playing in that game, um, and Steve Borthwick was on the bench as well. So, um, yeah, it was we were reminisced about that. It was great for me because we put forty points on them. I think at at, uh, at Carisbrook, so it was good. <laughs> it's always great. Well, you're obviously talking to an Irish person now, so it's always great to hear you get party on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, Carlos Spencer. How do you think he'd get on um, nowadays in the modern game? Do you think it suit him better? Oh yeah, uh, no, yeah. I think. I mean, I think. Um, I think line speed would be interesting how he cope with that. He obviously played with, um, you know, there wasn't a lot, a lot as much line speed as there is now, but man, he had, he had a brilliant array of skills. Um, and so it was great. It was really brilliant. It was great, you know, play, having a year at 15 and watching um, certainly, certainly Carlos and Andrew Mertens, um, you know, kind of having a backseat and watching them, them in the front line. Um, you know, we had, a, you know, yeah, I mean, you had a pretty good centers in front of you. I mean, I think I had Tana Umunga in front of me. You know, Aaron Major, you had Joe Rockathoko on the wing and Doug Howlett. So <laughs> it was you went you went you went lacking in quality. You know what I mean? Like you had Marshall and um Kelleher in the base. So um yeah, it was we certainly weren't lacking in quality. Um, but yeah, I think um, yeah, no, they, you know, all those guys, but certainly Carlos would be would be would be brilliant probably in any area era, really. He was he had the skills, um, certainly had the skills to to do that. And what was the training like with the All Blacks? Because like you know, you just mentioned there, Marshall and Kelleher used to train against each other. Like you know, you'd Mert yeah. and Spencer and Carter, and then you'd do Mang yeah. and Major and Sivivar to Howlett, Rakoko. Like what was training like back then? It must have been ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty. It was it was pretty amazing. I think um, you know back in those days, and and obviously it was a bit of a dream come true when you when you get your name called and you and um, you know I, I came through. It was probably one of the last All Black trials that we came through um so we got, we all sat in a room and it was kind of there were the two teams and people just people would go out and some would come back in some wouldn't so in the end there was it was just like a group of look kind of like 20 or 30 left that they said oh, oh 2025 i think it was that left and then you guys are it and yeah first training you're like bloody hell like 
every position on one side or the other were like just star names and you were like man this is this is unreal um but there was no time to really just kind of sit back you had to get stuck in and and, and just play but yeah no it was certainly it was certainly brilliant um and yeah you certainly trained you, you trained hard and, and yeah it was fantastic what was the like when you got called up like when you knew you were in the all back squad like did, what did you do like did you ring your father during your what did you do like, yeah uh, yeah it was it was like that so it was it was it was a bit like just ring ring the parents and um and and let them know and then it kind of comes out in the media and you're like um yeah this is brilliant i think i think to be honest it, it really sunk in when you get given the jersey so i think it was down in dunedin um i had sir brian lahore present me um you know my first jersey and um yeah you kind of go back to your room and you're like yeah, you just put it on your bed and you're like, well, you know, now, now now it seems really real, if you know what I mean. You do all the training, but now you've got this jersey, you know, this iconic uh, black jersey, um, you know, and uh, with a silver fern. And, and yeah, so that was that was probably the one where you're like, far out. This is, this is proper real now. This is proper proper time. So, yeah, it was brilliant. What about the hacker? Where were you standing for the hacker? Were you right at the back? Or... Right at the back, mate. Yeah, right at the back. Yeah, like, um, yeah, look, I mean, it was it was brilliant. You know, you learn, you learn, and they teach you during the week, and they teach you the meanings, and um, you practice it the, the day before at the captain's run. You, you do it at the stadium in front of, like, no one or in front of your, you know, your own um, crew. And and then, yeah, so, so for me, it was, uh, yeah, I just stood at the back, mate, it was... You know, just get it, get it done, and get ready. Um, and yeah, so most of the most of the time, I did it. We went back and sat on the bench and watched Carter play for eighty minutes. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was brilliant. Nah, but it was, it was awesome. And then obviously they got the they bring the new one in, um, Kapo Panga. So learning that and and knowing understanding the meaning of that was 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 quite was quite good as well. For the listeners that don't know, because the Kamate and the Kapo Panga, what's the difference? Because me and a few of the boys have a theory that when they do Kapu Panga, it's game over. The All Blacks are going yeah. to win. It always felt like, yeah, it, did, it always, I guess it always kind of maybe felt like that. And they kind of saved it for special occasions. And and it's actually quite it's interesting. They, they, they don't really do it now. They, they've kind of stopped doing it for the last, um, well, certainly for the Autumn Internationals. I, I don't think I saw it. Um, but it was, I think it was, there was a big, there was this big sea change after, um, but after 2004, and I think uh, for anyone that has read the book Legacy, um, yeah, there was a big, big sea change. And actually in, have in, that book, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the management, the culture. So I was there through that that period, um, and I, I got dropped after the 2004 and came back midway through 2005, and um, and yeah, there was a big, big culture change. So I think part of that culture change and leading on was um, was they questioned why they were doing the hucker and who they were doing it for. Um, and so I think there was a, there was a bit of, right, we need to get back to, to realizing why we're doing it. And I think part of this new culture and part of the new team was, was actually let's create something that was for, for us now. Um, and not, not saying we're taking away from the past, um, but just, but just bringing something that, that is true to us and um, true to who we are. So yeah, that, that, that was the, I think that was the basis for the reason, reason for it. Um, having not been, in those kind of conversations, but um, yeah, it was interesting. They, they they haven't been doing it recently, so it'd be interesting if they bring it back. And maybe they're they're going through another culture change. They're trying to come up with an, mm. another hacker. Maybe yeah, cool. maybe that, that could be cool. Imagine they did a new could hacker be. for the World Cup first. Could game. be. Well, could be. be you've you've heard it here first. You've heard it here first. Mick Evans speculates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, as well, you're on getting the jersey. 
Uh, another thing I've seen a lot on social media um, would have been when the All Blacks squad is going on tours. So you get brought, like maybe, I'm not sure if it happened back then, you can tell me if it did, that uh, you go into a big hall and there's all the Adidas reps there and you're getting your shoes, you're getting your jackets, you're getting fitted for everything. You get your suit, you get your Tudor watch, you get your shoes, you get everything for the tour. Like, did that happen back in 2004? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it certainly was. Um, I think the best, the, the the best one of those was probably in the World Cup for going to the World Cup in two thousand seven. Um, we we yeah, it was it was big. You go in there and you get all your shoes and you get all your um your, all your kit and stuff. But what the one the one cool thing they did for that was they um they got uh, they got Adidas and they got Fender guitars together and they made um I think they made a hundred uh, all black um all black uh like Fender acoustic guitars. Um, I've actually got it over there. If you want to go get it, I can show you it. It's in my it's in my living room just over there. But it's dude. um dude, I'll tell you what, I'll go get it. For those you're listening, Nick Evans is now running across his house getting a Fender guitar. Right. I'm not sure how it's gonna look, but they basically made they basically laid uh, about oh, 100 of these. Yeah. That is sick. So it was Possible cool. So well. it was like, and I, I'd never, I never played, I never played the guitar or ever. I was, I got, a, I haven't got a musical bone in my body. So we got given these, and I was like, I was like, bloody hell, shit! I've got, to, I've got to learn how to play the guitar now. So I kind of tried to teach myself, but yeah, they, um, I think this was number, what is it? it says on there, thirty-two of seventy actually. So they only, they only made seventy, but. So for those of you listening, this is a black guitar. You have a hacker on the left, and possible as nothing is written underneath it. You have the all black yep. crest, the Adidas crest. It's black and brown. Yep. It's just exactly what you would picture. Electrocusic. Only 70 of them. Electrocusic World Cup 2007. Ah, epic. Epic. Yeah, so so that was um so that was pretty cool. So that was like, yeah. Um and they had this Kiwi band come in and they played a song and they uh we all got they all said we all got given one and yeah so it was it was uh, that that was that was probably that was probably the kind of the best thing out of it and it just forced me to learn to try and play guitar which I can't I'm not going to play anything because I've, <laughs> I've stopped playing because you have kids and they've all they they've all wrecked it now so but yeah <laughs> yeah so that's a good segue into that World Cup so the All Blacks obviously started very well beating Italy winning all the pool games I'm sure wasn't it Nick and then. Then we went to Wales, went over to Millennium yeah. Stadium. So what was the week like in the build-up to that? Uh, the All Blacks were playing France, yeah. the hosts of that World Cup, but the ma- match happened to be in Wales due to France coming yeah. to in their pool. Yeah, it was it was a it was a kind of a weird one, that. And I think um so it was kind of weird for me because uh, I think uh, Carter had injured his foot um, the week before. And um so he did she actually didn't do many much training that week. Um we were staying up at the Vale, and um, so I did most of the training that week, possibly all the way to the captain's run. Um, but uh, but it was fine that you know that had happened before, and um, nothing out of the ordinary. And yeah, it was it was a strange one because we, like you say, we 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 kind of romped through the pool games. It was um, yeah, it was it was. I think we're beating everyone by like 100 points or 90 points. And I think it got to the last game, uh, second to last game and Scotland had Italy in the last game. And so they, they put out kind of a B side and we put, ended up putting 50, 50 points on them. I think it was. And 
so we hadn't really been tested um you know we'd, we'd won the tri-nations the year that year like this french team had come down 2007 to eden park and we put 60 points on them um and we knew they were always going to be different um a different beast but yeah they were they were phenomenal um and i think yeah i think a lot of the 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 stuff that came out from it was was around a lot of a lot of players were playing well and there was a bit around selection but like the French were possessed that day and we had our opportunities but we we just couldn't we we couldn't nail them and um yeah you know Barnsley probably didn't have his best game. <laughs> no referees. <laughs> you can say that. No, no, it's fine. Like, but yeah, me, me and Barnsley, I see Barnsley all the time, obviously, on the in the prem. So yeah, no, we've we've had a few chats around that. But um, yeah, but it was, you know, we had we had our chances and yeah, it was it was it, it was a shock. I think it was a shock to everyone. You know, there was no doubting that we were the best in the world, like by far. And um, it just we just we just didn't have the answers at the end and um and 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 we didn't get through and yeah there was a bit of bit of chaos after that and like i don't think there were any flights booked and half the team had to go home on one plane and i was part of the they had to stay at the hilton heathrow and yeah, there was a few beers went down a bit of crap that went down there but yeah it was um yeah it was it was disappointing because it was a great world cup but yeah sad way to go out <clears throat> yeah and something you said there that actually I wasn't aware of before. So Carter was actually injured in the week leading up. So you did a lot of the training in 10. You were driving the ship. So yeah. um, it mustn't have been that much of a surprise or a shock. So on the Saturday when you were coming on for, for Dan, you were, you were nearly preempting it, were you? You, you yeah, yeah, you yeah, get course. more minutes. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, um, yeah, and there's always you. There's always part when you reflect. You're like, oh, would it would have been easier if I just started and 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 all that, and maybe I could have pushed that a bit more with the coaches. You know, like because it was a long time ago. Now I'm trying to wrap my brains a bit. But whether I did, I probably didn't. Um, but but certainly we had we had a plan and we plan went in there and um, yeah. So I came on and and it was it was fine. I thought I felt really good when I came on. And the unfortunate thing is there was one. I think there was a scrum and. I think uh, the nine got checked a little bit, and I stepped inside the ten. I can't remember. I think it was Monty Michelak was on at that time. Michelak and the nine came just, on, yeah. yeah. I think I, mean, I stepped inside Michelak and the nine. I can't remember the nine was. He just grabbed the back of my shirt, and um, I was under the sticks, and I, I tried to offload, and the ball went to ground. And yeah, there were a couple of we had a couple of opportunities, and uh, I think oh, the try that they scored, I ended up doing my hammy. So I came on. I had to go off in the last five minutes. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great game, mate. To be honest. Um, but certainly, you know, fantastic experience to go to a World Cup. Uh, just wasn't the ending that I'd hoped for. Yeah. Yeah, it was Jean-Baptiste de la Sade would have been the, the nine, I'd say. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I remember watching it, like, geez, 2007, what was I? I was, I was 11. So, yeah. you know, Ireland had got eliminated by Argentina. I'll, I'll never forget that day. Like, 30-15, we lost. Hernandez got the three-drop goals. So, like, I was obviously very bad and emotional. But then the All Blacks were in France or in Wales wearing grey jerseys, and he lost. I just I never forget it. Oh, no. Watching it on the telly because Cheval was obviously incredible as well. But as soon as Ireland were out, yeah, I was an All Blacks fan. You know, straight away I was like, okay, yeah, Ireland were out, yeah. but at least and, at and least that, the All Blacks are going to do it for me. Yeah, and that was the hard, the hardest thing was like post that was. Everyone was just so nice. Everyone was, or even all the French were like, "Oh, you're still, you know, you're still the best team in the world." And the, all the Welsh were like, "Oh, you're still the best, and we still love you." And it's like we've just gone, we've just crashed out of the World Cup of the quarterfinals, and you're like, it's probably the worst result in the All Blacks history. And we're like, 
everyone was just being really 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 nice and you're like just someone give us a bollocking like just someone just tell us how shit we are or something like that please um but yeah so yeah it was it was um I think Deuce Trois made about 40 tackles that game. Oh. It, was, it was, he was, I remember him specifically was everywhere. It was a world um, record at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, was it, yeah. it was brilliant. He was I, brilliant. I know you said it was far, but like, I think the literal number was actually like 32 or 33 tackles. Yeah. Liter- literally 32 or 33 tackles. Do you know, it's, I mean, you're not even saying, oh, it was 40. It was literally yeah. like massive yeah. amount of tackles. Yeah. And yeah, um, was brilliant. Yeah. And then, after that World Cup, then you you made a huge life decision, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. And um, so I played. I went back and played Super Rugby. So that that year, I moved up to the Blues. Um, I played five or six years in um in the Highlanders, and I just felt like I needed a change. Um, so I uh so so I made the decision to go to go to the Blues. Um, but but closer to my family, been away from the family for a while. Um, and then the opportunity just came up to go overseas. Um. There's a few opportunities. I, I think Gloucester was the first people I spoke to. I think Dean Ryan came down to Auckland and I spoke to him. And uh, and then, you know, then there was Quinns, uh, um, Cardiff and Leicester were were there. And um, and uh, I remember I remember speaking to Quinns and it was brilliant. They sold they sold the club as this young, youthful team that were very ambitious. Um and they um, they felt they had a really good young crop of players coming through. Um, you know, I didn't know them at the time. Obviously, the likes of Danny Kerr, Mike Brown, Chris Robshaw, you know, all those guys. Um, and um, they needed 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 a bit of experience um, around that 10, 10 position to help them help the guide the ship really, and 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 hopefully to to come over and win trophies for them was the way they put it. Um, and it was funny, mate. I nearly went to Leicester. And it was funny, I talked to Cockers because Cockers was in, in England and you know, we had some great chats around it because he was head coach there and uh I'm sorry, he was coaching there. And um yeah, I I, I was I was really close to going to Leicester because um Aaron Major was up there and I think it was nearly all signed and sealed and they kinda I think they ended up wanting um Hernandez uh and... instead of instead of me. And um I think they went and tried to chase him and then I kind of got wind of that and I was like, oh, if they don't, you know, like, all right, it just doesn't seem right. And then Quinn's came back and then sold me, you know, really sold it to me. And, um, you know, I just, I, I ended up making the decision really easy. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was, that was great. It was actually, it was, you know, these little things that lead up to these decisions, you know, you, you, I could have gone one way or the other, you know, Cardiff, I could have gone to Cardiff, but um, yeah, Quinn's was brilliant. It was, and I think, the final decision was like going to a place where there was no Kiwis actually made sense because I would have to form bonds quickly and I'd have to, you know, really get to know the players really well. So that 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 really um, excited me as well. Yeah, because Cardiff obviously would have had like Xavier Rush that time yeah. and uh, Blair. Ben Blair. Uh, ben Blair. Ben Blair. Yeah. yeah, he was the kicker. Yeah. Yeah, Critter. Critter was there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, someone else who was at Harlequins at that time, actually, and he speaks very highly of you, has done yeah. on this podcast, Hugo Mania. Yeah, Oogs, Oogs was there, yeah. And um, so, and again, it was like, when you know, when you looked at it going over this, we just said this great, this great group of young, young, um, young kids coming through. And you had like Nick Easter. So he had a few old guys. Kerry Jones was there. Um, Mike Ross, you know, Mike Ross Mike was there. Ross, so, yeah, 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 yeah Mike Ross. So, yeah, we had a, we had, we had a, we had a, you know, a, a really group, a good group of group of players that have kind of come uh, out of the championship when they got relegated. They'd had a good year and they'd they'd really had a 
had a you know ambitious year and they they got to around mid table and um my job was really just to come and help help kind of run the team and I learned pretty quickly. The best thing that happened to me in that, the very best thing that happened to me was I did my MCL in the very first game. And most people would think, oh, it'd be a horrendous start to your, your Quinn's career. But what it allowed me to do was, one, um, I needed a rest anyway after the World Cup and Super Rugby and all this rugby. But two, it allowed me just to sit back and watch um, and just watch the players and the team and how it operated and you know, watch how Danny Kerr ran at nine. Um, you know, he was like the catalyst of everything. Um, and you know, if if I if I went, I very learned watching it. If I went in there and tried to control this young kid or just say no, this is how we want to do it. Like it just wasn't going to work. So I I learned really quickly watching it. Just like as soon as I got back, I was like, mate, you just if you if you want to run, you run. I'll 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 make sure everything else is organized outside you in terms of what needs to be organized. And then you just run. And then you might think, oh, he's been, what a top bloke. You know, he lets him do that. But obviously I knew that the more he ran would create more space for me, which meant I could then start running a little bit more and that would create a few more holes for me as well. So yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was great to have kind of six weeks to sit there and watch and then, and then, then jump back in. Yeah. And obviously Danny Kerr has since gone on to be the most capped premiership player of all time. And you're now coaching Danny Kerr. So yeah. you're in a better position than anyone to know what his traits and skills are. So obviously you started off, you came in as the experienced head and he was the, the young one. How is that relationship now? Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's still good. I think um I think it was it, it's always hard and it's probably not 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 I don't know, you have to ask him really what it's like as a player, but certainly for me it's um it was a little bit difficult when the first transition happened um, because you play with these guys for 10 years um, and then all of a sudden you're on the other side and there, it, no matter what people say, there's always a, there's always a different dynamic. Um, and I think, I think it took, it took me a little while to, to kind of get used to that and understand that. Um, I think the most important thing was not trying to be someone else or not trying to not be me, if that makes sense uh, from a coaching point of view um, is, is, stick to what I believe in, stick to what I, and, and that takes a bit of time because I transitioned. So it took me a couple of years to work out actually what I, what I see and what I want to do. Cause I went from playing to skills to kind of a little bits and bobs and then attack only the last kind of three years, really three or four years. So it took me a while to kind of work things out, but I think what's helped is, is not trying to change too much who I am and especially around those guys as well. So I think, I think the players will respect you more, um, if you're not trying to be someone different than who you are, because I think they can see they see through that, especially if they've played ten years with you. So um, it, it just changes the, the the dynamic changes. You know, like people would always say, it's when you retire, you get you're off the group, you're off the, the, the WhatsApp group with the players, and you know all the, these things happen. And you're not you don't go to socials with them anymore, and you just don't see them as much. But um, having played with them and won trophies with them. It's kind of what people say. There's always that knowing nod. There's always that like hand around the shoulder, or you know, we've been through the trenches together. We've we've you know we've been through the, some tough times. We went through Bloodgate. We went through some really crap years. We went through some really brilliant years. You don't have to bring that up yet. Um, <laughs> um, so we've been through we've been through been through all that. So I think yeah, when the respect is there, I think it's I think that helps. Yeah, and um. You say you don't want to change who you are. Like, what? How did you see yourself when you went in? I know you said you'd leave Danny Run or whatever, but how did you like? 
what was your perception of Nick Evans when you signed for Harrison? Like, did you come in and be like, I'm an all black and all the confidence in the world? Or were you kind of like, do you go in there like shy and one of the boys? Like, yeah, what were it's, you? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, I think I, I think I came in. I'm, I'm quite a shy person anyway, um, off the field. So probably, probably more of an introvert. Um, on the field is probably when I come alive and where I feel most comfortable and things like that at training and on the games. So certainly off the field, I, I, I was, I would have been pretty quiet and not not standoffish, but just you know, let just see how the the, the landscape is and and see where 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 I can fit in. Um, certainly my job, they asked me to come and help win trophies. So. You know, I was certainly when it came to training and and game plans and and you know playing, I wasn't going to hold back. Um, but I wasn't going to, and as I said, that that's why having six weeks with an MCL helped me to see how the dynamics of the team were and how the team actually played, um, and where, where the strengths were and and who who kind of led in some areas and who led the forwards and what the set piece, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that 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 gave me a real good insight and allowed me to kind of fit in when I came back and. Look, my, my job was to play as well as I can and and when the big moments happened, um, you know, they, they would look to me to make sure that I that I was playing the, the best I can and, and and hopefully deliver on those big moments. And look, you're not always gonna deliver on all of them, but as long as uh, as long as you're um you know, you you're there and, and you're showing that leadership there when they need it, um, I think that that, that was my job. Um and I think that, that, that certainly helped. I, I remember one of the games when you clutched the win with a drop goal. I think it was against Cardiff Blues or something like that. And it, I don't know why, but it's just stayed stayed in my memory. Uh, but yeah, great memories all around. Um, what do you think having Danny Care there and a lot of the boys in the systems allowed an easier transition for you to become a uh, the the coach in within Harlequins? Do you think it helped having all of the players already there? Um, I don't know. There's probably two ways to look at it. Um, uh, maybe yes, because it was familiar. Um, and certainly you knew, like I knew the the, the boys. I knew all those players' uh, strengths and weaknesses. I knew what they need to work on. Like they, I I knew that they know the game plans and how we want to play and the language and all that. And there wasn't a lot of like in depth chat around you know things that I expected and things like that there'll be little minor minor changes because they, they kind of knew how I saw the game um I think the, the flip the flip of that is like they you can get comfortable you know you can get really comfortable uh in the system and in the club and just expect things to be normal and expect them to understand and expect them to just deliver on what you what you think you should be delivered just because you play with them if that makes sense so Whereas you go to a new club, you can really set your stall out. You know, you can really deliver and delve deep into a plan and a vision and, and what you want to see from an attack point of view um, as an attack coach and, and and really coach them hard on that because they don't they don't know you, they don't know any difference. So you need to sell that, sell the story to them and sell the plan and sell the vision and sell what 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 you expect. Where so I think like there's there's probably two sides to that. There was there was certainly a lot of challenges. Um it was probably hard to have tough conversations with them. In the early part, um, because I had played with them, um, and I'm not, not afraid to say I probably avoided I avoided that for the first couple of years, um, and I don't think there's any shame in that. It was just it was just you play with these guys, and you're like, man, I've got to I've got to have a tough conversation, and I know I should have this tough conversation because you know whoever the player is is not not doing what I think that they should be doing or whatever, and I probably found that tough. Um, but the more experience I gained, and I think the more trust and 
and just to win, you know, the players players want to have those t- tough conversations. You know, they they want to know straight up. They don't want they don't want to beat around the bush. So um, it certainly took me a couple of years to 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 understand and feel comfortable in that in that role. Certainly, when you're on about the coaching, when you won the prem there uh, two years ago, you went with a collaborative coaching group for a while, didn't you? There was four of you, and you were collaboratively. Yeah. There was no head coach. You were all clever. How did that actually look? What what happened? Um. So so yeah, obviously obviously Guzzi was there, and um yeah, uh, Augusta did a did a, yeah he did a brilliant job, and I think um it just didn't it just didn't work out, and for for various reasons I probably won't go into those, but as soon as as soon as the change happened, um I think there was a lot of accountability from from all parts of the club, um. That, that that probably led to led to what happened. Um, so I think you know we we had to certainly get together as a coaching group. And Billy, who was the GM, Billy Millard, um, he he came down and helped us as a bit of a you could say a father figure, but not maybe not a father figure, but certainly someone with a bit more experience and just kind of sat and helped us, uh, but just allowed us to get on with coaching and coaching in our areas. So straight away there was a bit of trust and like right, I'm Nick's gonna Nick's just gonna run the attack stuff. Um, you know. You know, Jerry's going to do D and line outs. Everyone's just going to do their roles and responsibility. Adam's going to do um, the scrum, you know, contact, and and Charlie's going to do the kicking stuff. So it was like, right, just just crack on. And we had um, we had uh, Andy Sanger, um, you know, he was our, our welfare manager, and he he certainly helped around the players when the change happened, and you know, helped with the accountability with that. And and certainly we just we just looked for easy wins, and the easy win that we wanted wanted was right. Let's get back to playing the playing the style that of who we are and what we are. And that, that it was probably easy for me because I just led, I, I led that with attack. Um, and um, I think that we just, we just coached our areas hard. Um, and we just, when there was an issue or when there was a tough conversation, we talked about it as a group. Uh, we came to a decision, you know, selection was, was collaborative. We just spoke and everyone had their, you know, everyone had their opinions and we, there was, you know, people disagreed and, you know, we, we, we talked it out and, and then when we made a decision, everyone everyone jumped on board. Everyone backed it, um, whether they believed in it, when they agreed with it or not. They they then believed in it. They stuck in and they worked hard. And and I think that that spread down to the players. And certainly, I think we just got that trust. We got, we got that trust back. Um, and then that that little bit of freedom um, aligned with the trust, aligned with um, the work ethic that we had, um, just kind of set them free. And they they, they took that and then ran with it. So. Um... Taking it back to when you just moved across from uh, New Zealand over to Harlequins, were there any sort of initiations that you had to do joining Harlequins? Because obviously back then the sort of rugby club culture was a lot different to how it might be nowadays without social media and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there was. I think, um, what do we have to do? Yeah, there was copious amounts of drinking, but like it was, and again, it's not, it was nothing new. Like you had to sing a song. Like there was certainly a, there was definitely a song. And what song was there, Nick? Uh, I was going to say, I was, I was shit, I was shit myself because I'm not a great singer, singer. And I was like, I was buzzing around going, oh, what am I going to sing? And then someone said, I'll just sing an Oasis song. And I was like, so, and I knew, he probably set me up. I can't remember who it was, set me up. Um, and then so I started singing it. And then as soon as I got like literally two notes in, they all just started screaming, haka, haka, haka. And we were in the middle of Putney. And at the PMP, I think it was, or something like that. Um, and so, and there was people everywhere. And I was like, fuck, oh, yeah, there we go. 
Um, and so I was like, okay, I was like, I'm gonna have to do it. So, and there's one thing like, if you're gonna do a haka, especially if you've done it in front of millions of people, you have to do it properly. So the shirt came off, and you you got you got fully into it, and um, as best you can. And I just visualized that I was at the back. <laughs> again, up, up, again, the, again, bang, eyeing up the smallest person. So I was probably looking at Danny Kerr when I was doing this, um, and um, and then just and then just ripped into it, um, and then yeah, that was it. <laughs> and was it Kapu Panga or the Kamate? No, no, it wasn't. It was uh, it was the other, it was the normal one. It was Kamate. So yeah. Do you um do you ever get back to New Zealand often to see family and friends? No, not 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 as much now. I think um, I used to when um, when I first came over, but no, we haven't been back for probably five or six years. I think um, obviously we had COVID COVID was there, and um, with, now with three kids, it's um, it's a long way back, and it's not really a holiday when you take the kids back because you're just faring around trying to see people. So we just we get the grandparents up, or or we try and meet meet halfway somewhere if if they're on holiday, um, but. As as with rugby and people, if you're listening who don't who aren't involved in rugby is and have kids, is the the school holidays never coincide. I don't think it's ever coincided with when we have off season. So I'll be off, but the kids will be at school, and it's just it's always like that. Half term, I'll be in working, then I'll be off, and then they'll be back to school, and just, it's just never. So it's a nightmare to try and plan things. So. The um, rugby yeah. schedule, huh? The world rugby, rugby schedule. schedule. It's on. horrendous. It's horrendous. Yeah, forget everything else. We, global season, don't do that. Just can we just align it to school holidays? If we can just align the season <laughs> to school holidays, like it would be, you'd be so much more happier. Bill Beaumont, if you're listening, yeah, Nick school Evans holidays. wants times with his kids. Come on, <laughs> come on, Bill. Exactly. I just want holidays. That's all I want. So how what many is... weeks would you have off? Uh, how many weeks? So post season, we get we get five weeks. So the players get five weeks. We'll probably do four, and we'll have a week where we'll we'll crack on and and get things ready for the for the season. And when you were playing before, would it like you know you joined Queens? How long was your preseason? Yeah, I think then? it was four. Oh, so so it would be four weeks off off season. Um, maybe five if you're an older guy like me, you get the extra week. <laughs> but when I first when I first was there, there were longer preseasons. So I think they were like nine to twelve week preseasons. Um, and we had one real big one. The 2011 was. That was massive. I think we had about two or three weeks in between that we had off. So it was something like 12 to 14 or something like that. But it was weird because after the year we won it recently, um, you just don't have the preseason, the time, because you finish late, you have five weeks, and then you only have six weeks. And we actually we actually felt really good leading in because it just showed you can do it. Like Especially if you don't, if you don't have a big turnover of squad, if you only have maybe one or two people that come in, you don't need to, you know, re- re-implement plans and things that you know everyone knows it and the little subtle changes that you want to make can be done really easily it can be done in six weeks so you just straight in with the ball in the hand and you're, you're going through systems and structures and you're going through plays ready already so um it actually showed that you can do it um but it all depends on kind of your squad turnover well you mentioned 2011 there that's the year you won it under yeah. Connor O'Shea wasn't it yes yeah because when Connor came in you kind of started playing very well didn't you like how how did that feel for you? Like you were slinging passes, lad. Yeah, yeah. he was. He was brilliant. He was. He was brilliant, and it was, it was at the time that we needed. We needed him to come in, and I think. Um, so we, the year I came, we we'd obviously we had done really well. We made the semi-finals, um, and obviously, we made the quarterfinals of the Heineken Cup, and obviously played Leinster at home, uh, and then obviously, Bloodgate happened, and 
the whole thing imploded a little bit. The next year was really tough. You know, we, we just battled, but they Connor Connor didn't come in, but he was he was around just watching um the back end of that season. And um he kinda he was just kind of in and around a little bit. Um and then the next season he started with us. And that, that was a season we ended up winning the Amelin. Uh, I think we came seventh in the league. But certainly what he did was he took the pressure off us. So he he did a lot of a lot of work looking back onto the style and how we play. Um, he went back into the ancestry, which we've done recently with Owen Eastwood, um, you know, to, to realign this identity of who we are and this this true acronym that we have um, of how we live uh, at the club. And um, Connor was a big part of that back in, back then. And he just took the pressure off us. He, he, all he said was, was, was go out and play. Um, the results will be on me. Um, have the freedom, you know, um, express yourself, be be Quins, play the style of rugby, play the way we train. Um, and that, that's kind of what we needed. We needed the pressure off to go out there and and have the confidence to to throw those offloads, those passes if we saw that they were on and have the belief that we weren't going to come in on a meeting and go, you know, well, why are we doing this when the result was negative? Um, you know, it's like the yin and the yang. You know, you can have all the, I call them Instagram moments now where people see the tries, but actually showing back then things that nearly happened that didn't quite work. And a lot of people go, oh, that's really loose or, you know, that's why they're throwing it that it wasn't on. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Like if you want the really good stuff, you want the way that we play and people that people love, you're going to, you're going to have to take some of the ones. And it's all about just trying to improve the decision-making and the execution and having the freedom to throw it. So he came in and basically gave us that, took all the pressure off us. So as players, did you own that then? Like I can imagine as the ten, yeah. like the ten is always most frustrated man on every on any rugby pitch because he is the perfect pitcher in his head until props come into waves. But like, yeah. like how is it for you? Like if you've seen someone like Joe Marler throw a crazy pass, like were you did you have to be cool about it? Or were you like Joe, leave me do that? Like what? How does that? Yeah, happen? I think um yeah no I think uh, um. I think yeah, you certainly have to buy into it. It's certainly aligned aligned in the way that how how I saw the game and how we all saw the game. So we, I think we all we all wanted wanted to play that way. Um, but there's certainly um, there's a uh, there's a skill there's there's, there's knowing your skill set. Um, so you know Joe Marler, for example, putting cross kicks across to wingers, probably I'm probably going to blow up. At um, because he doesn't train it. So, but you know him throwing offloads and throwing you know miss miss passes if he's training it. Then then that's what we what we do. And if if we're training it, then that's fine. So, I think that's that's really important. Um, you know the skill errors. Um, you know people people making skill errors are, are, are fine. You know you can you can work on skill errors. Um, you know reckless reckless errors. You know people not in control of what they're doing and. Um, you know, there's not there's no care and care and what they're trying to achieve. Um, then that's where I think you can be a little bit a little bit harder. And I was probably probably obviously a bit harder around those. But we we had a saying back then: it was live by the sword and die by the sword. It was certainly something that that I brought up a lot. Um, you know, because I, I felt that if we were if we had the freedom, like we had to we had to live by that, and we had to sometimes die by that, and we and we did sometimes die by that. Um, but for the greater good and the greater the greater good of trying to win trophies, we had to, you know, we, we had to be able to do that in the big games, which we did in 2012. Something we actually haven't spoke about, because you're on about the freedom that, that Harrigans have now, the freedom he had then. Like, under Dino, like, he's obviously renowned as, like, the Leicester Tigers coach and Newcastle in this, like, forward-orientated game of rugby. Like, how, how did it differ under Dino? 
Yeah, and, and to be fair, it wasn't. It 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 didn't differ too much. To be fair, like we 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 played some we played some rugby in um in two thousand eight nine um when I first came over. Um, I think Dino Dino certainly bought into bought into the way Quins were um having gone through the last couple of years and he and understanding that. So yeah, I think I think Dino was obviously very different. Um, you know, very 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 different in, in, in how he saw things and the way he was as, as uh, for Connor, but he certainly, uh, it was no, I'd never felt that he stifled the way that we wanted to play uh, or how, how we were trying to play. Um, he certainly, he, he certainly encouraged it. And, you know, both of them didn't really do a lot of on-field coaching. Um, so I think they dealt with a lot of uh, what was going around and, and man management. Um, you know, certainly the coaches that, that were there, Colin Osborne, John Kingston, um, Mark Mabletop when he came in uh, a few years later, you know Tony Diprose were there. Like they, they, they were certainly driving that style of rugby. So, um, yeah, it, Dino was different in, in a few ways, um, but certainly I, did, I never felt, you know, suppressed by him or anything like that. Yeah, and um, it's something you've said twice, but like the reason for <laughs> Dino leaving, uh, can can we get into it? Yeah, go on then. So like Stad Francais, the Harlequins are six five down. Like what's happening in the last ten minutes there? What are the conversations on the sideline? How much did yeah. you know so, about it? Bloodgate for anyone who doesn't yeah. know what we're discussing, guys. And Leinster, not Stad Francais. Oh, sorry, don't Leinster. Pull, don't don't pull Stad into it. Um, yeah. Oh look, no, it was it was yeah. Like I obviously had, not, had no idea what was going on and. Um, it was yeah, it was it was it was a it was a tough period because I remember the game was incredible. They had an unreal team, and you look back then. I mean, it was you know the Adriscals, um, the Heaslips, the Rocky Elsons, just you know Adriscals and stuff. And oh man, they were like brilliant. Um, and yeah, it was it was a good. It was six five. It was and you know it was just one of those games. And and any and you just didn't know. Like I I, I went off because I'd, I'd end up fracturing my uh, the top of my tibia. Uh, I extended my knee, so I went off and. It was it was pretty sore, but it was one of those things. It wasn't a massive one, so but it just struggled every time I kicked the ball. It hurt so, and then next thing you know, it was like right, you, you, can you go back on? And you know, you're in a Hyder Cup quarter final. You're gonna, man, unless my leg was falling off, it was like yeah, but I'll go on and if we need if I need to. Didn't really think think twice and went on and tried to tried to win the game. Actually had a drop goal at the end. It must <laughs> got pretty close. Um, well, I don't know what would have happened if that had uh, gone over, but um but yeah and then then obviously all the all the things that came out afterwards and look yeah it was it was it was a shame because um it was a it was a it was a good contest um and yeah a lot of people a lot of people lost their jobs through it and um it's just a tattoo on the club that um that's been there and yeah it's just you, you just got to live it and and you know with the the club's owned it to be fair the club has owned it and they've always owned it and we've just yeah. kind of moved well it's a long time ago now isn't it it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's one of them moments, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, when I said Stad Francais, it was you got the drop goal against Stad Francais. Got the drop goal against Stad Francais. Yeah, yeah, that was the same year. Same yeah, year. it was in the last game of the pools. Yeah, last game yeah. of the pools. Yeah, unreal. unreal. So just for the listeners, I do, I do remember things well. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You're Irish. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I was wearing my Munster goggles there. I, I nearly wish you did. <laughs> I nearly wish you did get it because Leinster beat yeah. us in the next round in twenty five. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, yeah, just none of the players actually knew what was going on. 
Like, do you think Tom knew himself what was happening, or did it just happen and in the moment? Yeah, no, no. I think like yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was just one of those things um, that you know he just that went on and it happened, and it's um, you know that was the, the the people that you know Dino ended up owning up to it and and got the people that were involved, and as I said, the sad part was just people people that probably you wouldn't think were directly associated with lost it, you know, lost the jobs in the club. You know the club lost the lost some good people, so. Um, but yeah, it is what it is, and one of those things. Yeah, I think people in the media kind of forget that bit. Do you know, like the yeah. about losing the jobs, and it's actually a person behind <laughs> it. Like, all right, someone made a mistake, but should they be put to the sword over it? You know, yeah, someone argued, it's a tough yes, one. someone said no, but like, yeah, yeah, definitely. But it was only highs after that, then uh, a couple of a couple of wins and whatnot, yeah. Imagine if something like that happened in the game, like nowadays, how how that would just kind of blow up and be completely taken up and probably exaggerated all over kind of social media. There, um, yeah. Well, there's no social media back in those days. Yeah. Um, there was yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing. So it was all kind of yeah, just what you saw in the papers and you know yeah. a bit on the inter- on the on the internet back then. But um, yeah, certainly now you can see well, you see anything anything that comes up. You know, you look at the the Woodburn, you know, thing in the in the weekend, yeah. you know, like it's just how these things can these kids can can blow up massively and fast too, and really fast. Did oh, you arms, want... arms, legs, tails, everything coming <laughs> yeah. over? Hundred percent. Did you see Jack Knoll was getting a yeah. getting a potential match ban for something that he posted on Twitter? Like it, it's kind of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look at I, I mean it's. Um, it's a bit. It's, the whole thing is just a bit ridiculous, really. Like it's 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 a hard one because I, I can see it a little bit from both sides. But like you you want to you know they want they want to grow the game. They want characters in the game. They want um they want these people to be themselves. And and um, certainly with social media, there's certain certainly there's that avenue for people to be themselves. Um, you know, I think as players, you got to make you you do have to make good decisions. You have got to make smart decisions because you know whatever you put out there. Um, but like, man, I didn't think it was too bad. Like, what the, what 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 was what they were saying, and I think um, that that it was certainly the the scenario was like something that you see week in week out. And you know, we had a situation earlier against Bristol, last play of the game that looked looked very similar. And you're like, cheapers, like, you know, like it's uh, it just didn't look right. But yeah, it's um, unfortunately it, everyone walks a pretty fine line these days, and. Yeah, I think if we want to grow the game, we've got to allow these players to be uh, to be who they are. I agree it's with also that. Freedom of speech as well, in a way. If you're not allowing the players to express what they're thinking and what they're feeling, I guess that could be taken as kind of... It's not allowing people to grow the game in their way. It's kind of a dictatorship in a way. Yeah, I think, um, I think the important thing is like, the game needs the game needs to be growing. The, the game needs to be more exposed to more more people in more places. And one of the things that's going to help with that is, is is characters in the game. You know, people need to associate to these characters and um, want to see these characters, um, not just the game. I think you know the game itself can be so complicated at times that that people aren't just going to come and watch the game because they they won't have a clue what's going on like half some of the time we don't know what's going on um and that's not anyone's fault that's not just one person's fault or anyone's fault it's just the way the game is and um referees are trying to referee the best they can um players are trying to play the game the rest of the game commentators you know you, you guys are trying to analyze and 
and you know you're trying to get the game out there the best you can and um you know we could we could spend this whole hour talking about that decision in the weekend and we could there was one last week we probably could have discussed as well so um you know we want we want people to come and watch the game we want this game to 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 be more exposed to people around the world and for me firmly is like we got to get people out there and to be themselves and people, you know, people want, want to come and see Marcus Smith, but they want to know who Marcus Smith is, you know, Joe Marler, but they, you know, if I use Quings as an example, they, you know, they want to know who Caden Murley is, you know, you know, Luke Wallace or whoever, you know, whoever the character is, they want to, they want to know and they can, from then it's, it's they can come and watch the game. So I don't know. I don't have the answers for that. I'm just an attack coach. So I'm not quite at that level yet. <laughs> I agree with you hundred percent, Nick. And I think another problem with the game is, I think rugby people are kind of very negative about the game at the moment. So, like, we're all talking about the Ollie Woodburn decision. Like, obviously, well, I think it shouldn't have been a red card at all. And that dominates the press then. Oh, it's mistakes. The game is bad, blah, blah, blah. Or the scrums are on telly and everyone's like, oh, there's too many scrums. Why all the reset scrums? Like, I personally, I'm I'm a back myself, you know. So, like, I personally mm. think that, we, there should be a commentator or a presenter who is literally the scrum doctor on the sideline. And at halftime, you get in. I'm sure Adam Jones could do this. Uh, he's obviously coaching with Harrington, but I'm sure he mm. could do it. At halftime, he goes in and analyzes, look, guys, this is what's happening in the scrum. This is how he's winning. This is why that's a penalty. Because if we all understood it that little bit more, we'd appreciate it. And then it'd be more of a positive narrative. Oh, did you see what he did in that scrum? What a big scrum instead of, Oh, what's that penalty for? I don't know what happened there. Like, do you think there's a bit of education yeah. needed as well? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think so, and I think um, I think that's a great idea, uh, especially for the referees. I think, like, for the most part, there are some some commentators that do a really good job at trying to explain what's happening around the specific areas. You know, the game, the breakdown, or the scrum that, or, or a maul that are that causes a bit of confusion. Um, the problem is, is like once it's explained, and the very next time something happens, and it's like it's ping the opposite way you're like like how how or what or like what what happens there because there's so subjectiveness to it to every decision is is come down to like what whatever the referee's seen at that one point or what he has seen or or what he hasn't seen so um like i don't envy the referee's job it's a it's a tough job and we need them um and i think for the most part you know they they they're, they're trying to do the best job that, that that they are and sometimes the they're hamstrung by the rules a little bit um and that 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 just happens and you know, then you, you know you the frustration of the players and you know it's 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 a it's a pretty tough gig and i am you know pretty sympathetic to them well some of the times especially when they go our way it's fine but you know, a lot of the time I'm I'm up in the gantry yelling and screaming and effing and whatever, and but that's that's part of the game, you know. And you like to think that it, it all kind of evens out in the end. And I think that's you know kind of a bit like what football was before VAR was. You know, you kind of the offside rule kind of evened it out over the, the course of 38 games a year. And you like to think it kind of does in in, in rugby as well. But every, like like you say, every every kind of controversial now decision is is scrutinized so much where it takes away from you know that game this is this scored 62 points when was the last time they did that you know like show us show us the tries show us the, the really good play you know show us show us the stuff that that, that people want to see that they're going to get people coming to the game because that's that's what we need we need people coming to the game 100 percent. and something you mentioned there was like the players trying to get themselves out there through social media and things like that like 
How would you feel about a Netflix series coming to Harlequins now? Because I know in certain teams in Six Nations, <laughs> there was kind of a shutdown and they were kind of restricting the amount of players could come in. Like, do you think you'd enjoy that? Would you take on like the Christian Horner or Toto Wolf role? I don't or know. You'd be oh. in the back seat. How would you be? I don't know. It's a good question because we spoke because I was obviously I was in the Six Nations when they when they had it and um and they were around but they weren't you know they weren't given access to the nitty gritty. They weren't in coaches meetings. They weren't in team meetings. You know, like they, they weren't they weren't in and around any of that. Um, I think um, for Quinns they they kind of missed the boat. The year we won it was probably the one to do it um, <laughs> when, we, when we came back and won the semi final the way we did in the final, but. Um, I don't, look, I don't know. I think I think it has to be in the pipeline somewhere. Um, I would love. I, I think it would be great. I think it would be great. It would, certainly would help the game. I think it would get a lot more people watching it. Um, the the only the only barrier I can see to it is it would have to be full disclosure, and I I'm just not sure if rugby is ready for full disclosure yet. I don't know. Like, uh, are we are we ready to have them in coaches' rooms? Are we have, ready to have them in the changing room? Are we ready to? Have them in the in the meetings and selection meetings. Are they in the one on ones? Are they? Are, are we ready for that? I'll, I don't. I don't know. Um, I think some some parts of it we probably are, but if it's going to work, it has to be. It, it has to be all in. I, I would imagine. And in my ignorance, Nick, why is it a question? Is are we ready? Like why? Like yeah. How do we not know? As in, like I agree with you that we yeah. nobody knows is rugby ready, but. Why I don't know. I, I, it's a good question, like because uh, yeah, when you say that, like I probably don't have an answer for you, mate. I don't. I don't know. Um, it just it would have to be. It, it would. Well, you couldn't have, and probably what I mean by it is a bit like the Six Nations. If if two of the union, if two of the countries said, "Yep, we're going full in," and three of them didn't, like, is that gonna is that gonna work? It it may it may work if if you only just look at two of them. If half the clubs did it and half the clubs didn't. Um, yeah, I I don't know uh, is the answer. Um, I guess we're we're probably closer than we were maybe four or five years ago to it. Um, but certainly, is 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 the is the money there? Is is the because that's probably what it all comes down to, doesn't it? Would your is the money be available for it? Would I think so. I think I think I think I think I think you know that our clubs. We we like to think of ourselves as as we're pretty out out there club and we lead we lead on a lot of areas. We know we had a brilliant pride game, uh, in the weekend. You know, which is brilliant. Full house. Um, it was excellent. Um, you know, we've we've taken two games over to the Twickenham. You know, big game and now big summer kickoff this weekend. So we're trying a lot of things out there in the community um, around every every everything at the moment. So if there, I would say if there's one club that could probably have a crack at it, it would probably be us. 100%. The player, I think the players would 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 be all on board for it. Um, and if they were, we'd just have to crack on and give it a crack and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're obviously talking about kind of the growth of the game. What what do you think are some key areas that you think could help grow the game um, and get more people watching and coming up to matches and maybe even growing the game in some of the smaller nations like Spain and Germany? <clears throat> yeah, um, certainly like... Um, the, the visibility of those, especially those ones, like you just mentioned, there, Spain and Germany, is is how people can see them, see them more. Uh, I think you know we we see clips on on social media. Um, you know, there's a few accounts out there that will that will go. You know, here's Peru playing Georgia and last minute kick and things like that, or, or whatever it is. Is 
and I think there's more accessibility to that. And and again, it's going to be governed by money, and 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 I understand all that. But like being able to be able to watch those games, um, and see those games, and see those players, um, would be would be, would be brilliant because there's some there's some bloody good little players out in those in those teams that can come through and and play, and the accessibility for those for those guys to get opportunities in top level competitions like the Prem or the URC or, or French rugby or wherever wherever that is would be would be brilliant you know obviously Georgia have a few players playing in the French league and and things like that in the, in the prem so the more that we can get exposure to that would be would would be brilliant um look I think I, I again like I I I'd like to see I'd like to see more I'd like to see the game like I, my my main thing is the game so it can be so complicated I, like like I look at the big I'm trying to look at the big picture and you know, it's never going to be like football. I understand that, but like, how can we get it to areas of the world that 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 don't have it? That that they're not quite in it. Like for the last 10, 15 years, everyone keeps saying America is going to be the next big one, next big thing, the next big thing. But I know they've got a a league there now, but it's just never quite taken off. So the question is like, why? Like, how how can we make it bigger? Is it a Netflix series? Is it? Is it is it is it better 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 players out there? Is it a bigger league? Is it is it more exposure? Is, is it whatever? I don't know. I, I don't know. But it's like we need to we need to be able to to get that to those those bigger countries. Um, you know, Japan have a really good league now. We don't see. We know some good players out there, good good coaches, but we hardly see any of that. Um, you know, is it is it, is the global season going to help? Um, is a is a, a a connected competition, club competition, where the best club teams in the world play against each other in various places. I don't, I, again, I don't know. And I know I'm saying things that are all governed by money. So it's where all this money comes from, I guess. Something you said there, Nick. You were saying the game is too complicated to go. I always think when rugby people say that, that like NFL Deutschland, so NFL Germany has 380,000 followers on yeah. Instagram. And like, American football is definitely more complicated than rugby. So, do you think it comes back to selling then, or is it the complications again? It's, but I don't like the thing around NFL is like they don't they don't change their rules. Like the rules of NFL very rarely change, do they? Like there might be a few things on like you can't celebrate too much now, or you can't like, um, you, you know what I mean? Like the the game, the, the like I know it's complicated, and it's more of a stats thing that's complicated in the referees, but it's like. Like I've watched the NFL for the last three or four years to do fantasy NFL and do all of that because <clears throat> I love the stats side of the game. It's brilliant. Um, I don't think there's too much subjectiveness to like the decisions that, that that happen in the game. Like, don't get me wrong, there are and there's 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 um, offensive, you know, holding and all this kind of stuff. But the the rules generally don't I don't think change too much, and I think that that's that's why I think we, we're forever kind of changing our rules. Um, there's you can do this, you can't do this. You you know this has now changed, and you you know you can't you can't do this in kicking anymore. And you you oh there's another kicking rule you can't do that. And the breakdown is this now, but now you you can't go off your feet, but you can kind of go off your feet. And the scrum is this, and the, uh, I don't know. It's just I think the subjectiveness around that is maybe gets lost on and and when when you're trying to set it up to 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 new to new viewership, um, how can we make that how can we make that easier? Um, and again, like I. I Mate, I don't have the answers. Yeah, no, like, no. I, I just, I, I don't mind spitballing. And we, we do this in the coach's room. And how can you do it? And you know, it's half of the stuff we say is like, "Are you having a laugh? Like, what are you talking about?" But sometimes you're like, actually, that might, 
might you know that might do it like the 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 red card thing the new red card rule like i like that i think it's i think it's a good idea i think it's great and i think it's you know the person that can't come back on and someone else has to come back on and i think it, it'll hopefully keep the games um it'll keep that kind of jeopardy in the game which is which is what we want I think you hit the nail in the head there with the, the rule changes and that's what distorts people. Like I, I actually never thought of that as being the thing where you just hit the nail in the head there, lad. Yeah, just, yeah, I just think so. That's that's my take anyway. The foundations, essentially. So mm. what's kind of next for you, Nick? I mean, you, you've been in Harlequins mm. for the last uh, 15 years or so and you've got your base there of your family. Do you ever see yourself kind of moving away from that sort of area or do you see yourself kind of coaching with Harlequins till the end of time? <laughs> it, fit, man. it feels like that sometimes, but uh, no, look, I, I think um, I love, I really love coaching where I am. I, I love Harlequins. It fits, it fits everything um, I believe in. Um, I really, I really enjoy it. We're a great coaching group, great, great set of players. The club's brilliant. The owners are, are fantastic, um, especially what they've gone through in the last few years. They've really stuck by the club. The fans are unbelievable. Um, so I'm really indebted to to Quinns, but but certainly, um, yeah, I, I see myself, I see myself, you know, being back in New Zealand at some point. Um, you know, as I said, my wife's Kiwi. I, I know our kids are pretty well; they're all English now, really. Um, but the, I think we want to end up in New Zealand at some time. Um, and what I, what I really enjoyed uh, about the England experience was experiencing a different environment and seeing how people do things differently. And as I said, it's made me a way better coach. And I brought a lot of things back to Quinns that that have that have made me better and and will hopefully help make Quinns better as well. And I really want to get stuck into that. And so I think for the foreseeable future, I'm, I'm definitely definitely want to stay at Quinns. Um, but Long-term plan, yeah, I see myself. I see myself back in New Zealand at some point um, with the family, and and hopefully that'll be giving back to the game where where it all started um, back in New Zealand, and and hopefully helping, you know, maybe maybe some young young kids realise their dreams that I got to do by putting on a black jersey one day. So with the with the England experience you had, would is there any talks of you potentially uh, going in during the World Cup at all, or would you say that's kind of completely off the cards? Yeah, no, that, that's not going to happen. So th I think that came out a couple of days ago. Um, it, I don't think it's made been made official yet, but um, yeah, like it's um, it, they they wanted me for the for the World Cup um, to stay there, and and I would love to to do that. But um, post that, there was nothing post that. I think Felix jo Felix Jones is going to come in. So I think for Quinns, you know, it was it was put them in a real tough position, um, and um, you know, it, it was just wasn't going to work. Um, you know, me me leaving again um so yeah so so no, that that was my um that was my experience um i had eight to ten weeks with them which was brilliant learned, learned a lot um would have loved to go to to the world cup but um yeah i've, I've taken all the learnings out of uh, out of that experience and um yeah just cracking on with quins for the next for the next year and nick before the podcast you were telling us that you have a canadian passport and you were <laughs> at the towards the end of your career you're actually looking at playing for canada so obviously it was, that. yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was like, um, yeah, three passports. Sometimes I feel like, um, uh, what I was going to say James Bond, but I'm, I'm definitely not a James Bond. Like <laughs> Jason Bourne, when you open the drawer, you got three passports there, but, um, now we, we, my, my name was French Canadian. So we, um, 
we decided to have a crack at getting a Canadian passport when I was young just to see if I could get it and I managed to get it and then there was a loophole towards the end of my career at Quinns when I was about 36, 37 where um, if you played a couple of um, tournaments, sevens tournaments for um, a tier two nation you could uh, or a tier three whatever nation you could um, you could then work your way in and, and be eligible for the 15 aside so I was thinking well there could be an opportunity here to go and play um play, play at a world cup for Canada or something like that and I, exp- I explored it a little bit but then it kind of when I sat down and thought about it I was 36 37 and there was no way I was going to last two tournaments um out there playing the seven circuit I mean that game's a different game now I mean I, I played it back in 2001 I did the seven circuit for New Zealand in, in 2001 and Matt, it was an awesome experience, but yeah, there's no way I could have done that at 36-37. Well, why I bring that up, so, is that you never <laughs> filled your dream and never did your nine-up pro by playing for Canada. But Not Canada, think, no. But do you think you'd ever coach Canada? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, you never know. One of the beauties of the exciting and probably scary thing about coaching is um, you can kind of end up anywhere, really, and, and jobs can can open up. In a lot of places and jobs can finish pretty quickly as well you know we're, it's a result results-based business so um there's not you you know you got to keep working hard but yeah no look that, that would be a full kind of swings and roundabout that would that one if i if i ended up back in canada coaching them outside of go on adam without being too controversial then the players in canada would obviously be at a, a lower standard than what you've coached with before or played with hmm. so how do you think the coaching will be different in a tier two compared to a tier one nation? Um, I don't, I don't know what it would be like. Um, I'd imagine like, again, when you're playing for your country, um, there'd be no lack of motivation to want to do well and want to want to learn. Um, I think, um, one of the, one of the things when you're coaching, uh, that, that kind of level is, is making sure that you're, um, that what, what you're coaching is really, really explicit. Um, you know, that there's there's some real concrete and behavioral actions that you can that you can get across to the players. Um, I think they want to they want to have that detail and they want they want to know what they they want to know what to do and they want to be um, they probably want to be told. Uh, and then you can start layering on the feel. Um, like I'm a big I, I love kind of researching and looking in how you coach feel because it's the part of the game that kind of maybe separates the 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 true great players from from, from your kind of good players um that ability when you know you look at someone they're like why have they got so much time why do they always seem to make the right decisions you know what what how, how do they seem to have the right depth all the time you know this real feel and this of where they are on the field and what's happening in front of them and like I'm, I'm fascinated on, on how you coach that and and like where you pick that up from you know is it is it a genetics thing is it you know I'm a big believer of like being exposed to all different kinds of sports it's how I grew up but certainly how I felt I got feel playing football soccer golf um you know I used to do bomb Adam Jones gives me crap for this all the time but sailing like I used to like read the wind you have to learn how to read the wind so like I felt really comfortable reading winds in stadiums like where winds would bounce you know how winds would react so this kind of feel is is fascinating for me so I think that's really hard for for you know um young young players coming up um you know, like to, to to have that, and I think that that next level down, that kind of amateur, not amateur, but that semi pro or whatever tier two nations is is you can't just layer that in straight away. So, I'd imagine there'd be a lot of concrete and behavioural actions that that you'd have to coach at that level. 
You definitely know you played in the Westpac Stadium when we were talking about reading. Oh, like mate. <laughs> that was ridiculous sometimes. Mate, I've had some shockers in that stadium too. So when I say I read, I can read the win, I like to think I can. But, mate, I, I remember I kicked once there and I, it, I, I put it outside the right post by about 10 metres thinking it was going to come right to left. It literally went left to right, another 15 metres. And it would, it, mate, it was, it was horrendous. It was so embarrassing. But anyway, you have those. Speaking about wind, actually, and feel. Isn't the West Pack, is that where a character did that kick, the banana kick? Mate, no, that was in that was in Carisbrook. And I was standing under the post watching that go over as well because it was against fucking the Highlanders as well. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> you, you you brought up feel. I, I yeah, to... yeah, fair. <laughs> I, I, fair. I was envisioning one man when you said he had so much time and he was yeah. at odds at the perfect depth and so calm. Like, yeah. Yeah, DC. Like, what? What was he like in training? Actually, was he just like so cool? Yeah, just quality. all the time. Yeah, no, no. Um, yeah, no, brilliant. Um, but you don't get that by you know he worked he worked incredibly hard as as the good all the good players do. I think um, you know you don't we we can say that they've got feel and and you know they've got all the talent in the world, but you know to you'd be really naive to think that these guys don't work incredibly hard. Um, and he, he certainly worked incredibly hard at his at his kicking in in his all round game, and and that's why he was he, he'll go down as one of, if not the one of the uh, the greatest all black or, or player of the world. It's kind of ever been really. Hundred percent. We'll probably find out after the, in the quick fire questions where he comes right. in that ranking. All right, we'll see. Yeah. That's kind of the end of the uh, general questions. And now, now we're going to move on to the fan quick fire round questions. Yep. Um, so, Adam, do you want to kick off? Yeah. So, I'd say the, the easiest place to start is who is your Mount Rushmore of rugby? Uh, Mount Rushmore, Rushmore, uh, Rushmore rugby. Uh, oh, for me, would always will always be Jonah. I think. Um, I think for someone, you know, we, we've already spoken about how you change a game and that guy changed the game completely um, from the, the amateur to the professional. He was an absolute superstar and there was so many people that would have had no idea about rugby that would never watch a rugby game. But when, as soon as Jonah came on the scene, we're like, this is this is unreal and this is a superstar. And um, and what he, some of the things that he did with the ailments that he had, was was phenomenal and being young and watching him run around in an all black jersey was unreal did you ever get to play with him i didn't play with him i played against him um towards the end um and he he wasn't he wasn't anything like he was back in the you know 95 96 and all that kind of stuff so yeah i, I got him just before he he ended up going up north and he we he, he ended up somewhere in yeah. um cardiff yeah that's right so uh, yeah, so um, I, I yeah, I I think I might have got tangled up in his legs once and brought him down. So tick rugby complete. <laughs> <laughs> do Do you think there's any players nowadays that might have that superstar ability like Jonah once did? I think I mean I think there are, and I think but but I think they do it differently. Um, like certainly like Dupont, like like he doesn't do it like Jonah, and nor should he do it like Jonah. But he does it in a completely different way. Um, just unbelievable feel, if you want to put that, but skillful. I mean, man, I got to sit there and watch, you know, his 50-22 off the left foot when he shaped his kick right. It was off the left foot was like, 
you, you just like well, one, how do you defend that? Two, like that is just ridiculous. Um, so like certainly he's 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 fan he's fantastic. Um, you know, like even you know guys like Marcus, you know Chesney, Colby, you know all these all these kind of players that are doing it in different ways. Um, and I'm sure maybe maybe someone will come through like Jonah again one day from that pure physical point of view. But I just think people are people will have the same impact, but they'll just they'll do it in different ways. Are you kind of like a mentor to Marcus in a way? Because obviously you were number 10 for Harlequins and then when you retired, Marcus kind of filled in that maverick sort of shirt and feel for the game. Do you kind of have quite a, kind of like a dad or older brother sort of relationship there? Um, I don't think it's like a dad or older brother. I think certainly like we have a really good relationship uh, um, and that's really important. I think as an attack coach, you know, you're 10 has to work with you really closely. Um, and I think him being really young and coming through, um, like you say, like, as, a, as a maverick, um, but there was certainly a lot of lot of things that he had to learn and understand um, coming into the premiership, you know, coming straight straight from under 18s, uh, where he could just run around the middle of the field and score a try. That doesn't happen against Saracens, um, you know, when, when you're playing against them in a semi-final. So, um, yeah, no, certainly I've worked really, really closely with him. But he's a, he's a good kid. He gets of he's he's a you know he loves learning and he wants to he wants as much information as he can and he's always looking to try and get better. He wants to be the best in the world and you know he's certainly up there at the moment in terms of, of vying for that. Um, so yeah, it's it's my job to try and help him be the best that he can be. And if that means he smashes all my records, then it's just what happens. It's what I get paid to do, I guess. <laughs> this this leads on to the next fun question from Hayden, and he he asks, do you do you think with the current England setup, um, who do you see playing at ten for the World Cup? Um, it'll it'll be interesting. Like um, the way that we were set up in the Six Nations certainly probably didn't um, link to Marcus's strengths um, as much, and I think there'll be a certain uh, adaption to to playing a little bit more, I would I, I would expect um, leading up to the World Cup. So I think that's certainly going to help Marcus a little bit. I think if you look at the Six Nations, I, I can see why a lot of people will be like, "Well, it, it's it's going to be Farrell and George Ford, and there's no way in." Um, I think there certainly is a way in for Marcus, and I think people have to understand Marcus can manage a game. Um, he he'll do it in different ways, um, and he'll certainly have a real attacking mindset first, which is which is not a bad thing. Um, but he, he has to understand that that he's got a coach that that sees the game maybe a little bit differently, um, and he'll have to adapt and adjust it a little bit. So, I can see I can see I can see them certainly playing a little bit more and looking to play a little bit more in the lead up games to the World Cup because you, you're going to have to you're going to have to score points against the good teams. Um, so, yeah, I think that when you look at that, who's going to provide that opportunity more? Marcus is going to give that. So I I can see him being involved. I don't know whether he's going to start. Um, that, that that'll be up to Steve, you know. In the games, there'll be some teams he'll he'll start against, hopefully. But um, there'll be some teams that 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 he won't. So Ryan Hogan wants to know if you weren't a rugby player, what would you be? Good question. So I um I studied physiotherapy at at uni, so I was a bit of a late starter. So I um I came through like school and then went to club rugby. I didn't become I didn't make a rep side till I was probably twenty one. And that was seven. So uh, I didn't go to academies or anything. I just went to uni and, and studied physio. So if I wasn't I wasn't going to be a rugby player, uh, I probably would have been a physio 
Although before that, I wanted to be a marine biologist. So probably one of those two. Cool. Henry Craggs wants to know, what's your greatest moment on a rugby pitch? Um, oh, I think I think obviously my first, there's, there's probably a couple really like, the easy one is my first test match putting the black jersey on would have been would have been right up there as i said uh being down in um Carisbrook, um was 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 a big one for me um i think up at Quinns, man there's been some big ones um yeah like you mentioned before the stud front say drop goal like being involved in that was really good um uh, the the winning the amlin cup the way we did with the last kick of the game um but i think like to win the first trophy for Quinns in 2011 in 150 years and as i said before they brought me over to win to win them a trophy and to be able to to be able to do that i think was because that yeah that was a year when in 2011 the world cup where all the teams were going down like carter went down perry whipper went down aaron cruden went down and it was like Colin oh, man. yeah because like, it was like oh man if i just stayed i might have been at a world cup final and obviously stephen donald came in and i was like oh and then, um, but that year we we ended up winning the we ended up winning the premiership, so it was it was nice. So I think, yeah, like that the 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 All Black, my first All Black test, and and winning the premiership for Quinns was one of the two biggest. So Josh Deedy wants to know who's your favorite athlete outside of rugby. Adam Jones would probably say it's Ben Ainsley for you, would he? <laughs> ben Ainsley. Um, who's oh, good one. Um, Oh, there's a few people I admire. Like I was a big Tiger Woods fan, so and I watched a lot of Tiger. I was I was a big Tiger fan and, and watched him coming through. Um yeah, he was he was bulletproof, probably both on and off the field. He was pretty uh he was pretty uh he was pretty on form. Um I'll tell you like one who were like I, I did a lot of surfing back in New Zealand. Um I wasn't very good at it, but like Kelly Slater. So for some people talk about, you know, greatest athletes, man, that guy's been surfing and won championships for years. Um, so he was like, in terms of longevity, man, he was, uh, yeah, he's just been a, an absolute pro, um, but in the surfing world and maybe not, probably not a lot of people in England focus too much on surfing, but, uh, yeah, he was watching him and yeah, he's, he's done pretty well, but probably, probably Tiger. Yeah. Nice. John Pepper wants to know, um, what are your predictions for the world cup? Um, I think it's a good question, man. I mean, it's there's five or six that could win it. Um, the only thing that worries me about the Irish is like history's against them. History shows that they they tend to not quite produce. They're a very good team. Um, have they have they done? Can they do it when it really, really, really matters? I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, I think I think people are dismissing New Zealand too much. I think, man, I think New Zealand will be good. I think give them a bit of credit. I think the French will be typical French. I think they'll probably lose a pool game and then probably make it to the final somehow. Something like that. Like they'll, they'll do something ridiculous. They'll do something ridiculous. Um, Oh, I don't know. I'm probably going through all of them now, aren't I? Australia, Dark Horses, Australia, Eddie. You know, he always has that bump, doesn't he? Brings the team together and gets them gets them going. Like just probably pure through pure fear. I don't know, but he tends to get a and and when you look at it, if they get all their players back, 
if they keep them fit, they've got a decent, they've got a decent starting fifteen. Um, England, they've probably got the best draw. They only have to beat Argentina really, and then was it probably Wales? So probably make a semi. Should make a semi. If they don't, then it's then it'll probably be a bit of a bit of a shitter. So I haven't really told you much, but I've given you a little bit of a heads up. I'll go New Zealand. New Zealand to win it. Shark. The fans will be shark. Wow. <laughs> shark. <laughs> <complete> shark. <laughs> uh, so the final question then to you, Nick, is what advice would you give an 18-year-old version of yourself? Um, oh, man, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, I think... Um, my an eighteen version of myself when I look back was like I was I wasn't I wasn't a great a great rugby player but like I was I was okay um, I had to work hard I had to work really hard um, I had to like understand my point of difference um, and really like kind of double down like I was I was fast um, and I had to work on my skills uh, uh, my skills were were probably my my biggest thing so I wasn't a great kicker I did, originally I wasn't a great kicker so I think. Um, that kind of that belief and that work ethic is, is, and I know we, we kind of alluded to it with Dan Carter as the greats, you know, they've got all the talent, man, but they work hard, they work hard and it's, there is a bit of sacrifice to it. And, um, you know, you got to sacrifice and, um, you know, you, you're going to get the rewards, you, you'll get the rewards and, and, and keep believing, keep believing you, you get through some tough times. Like, and I remember I got dropped from the All Blacks a few times and you get back in and, you know, you 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 don't have the good games, and you you get back in again. You keep trying. You learn from your mistakes, and you keep pushing. So that 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 kind of perseverance and that that work ethic is is um is, is critical, I think, to 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 getting through getting through those tough periods. Good, that's that's great advice. Yeah, as anyone listening to this podcast could definitely take that on board, young or old. Yeah, so. Mick Evans, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. And uh, where can people find you on the socials if they're looking? Uh, if you want to follow me at all, don't know why. Uh, Nick Ten Evans on both Instagram and, and Twitter. Pretty easy. For well, the millions of listeners, much, get on it. <laughs> and if there, was, if there was one person that you'd like to see on the Champagne Rugby podcast, who would that be and why? Have you had Adam Jones on the podcast? No. Yeah. Oh, get the bomb on there. Get Adam Jones. He's a top bloke. Yeah. Get Adam Jones. Make it happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. I'll I'll introduce you guys. I'll send I'll I'll make sure. I'll make sure of it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we've had an absolute blast with Nick today, and we've hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And we'll catch you for the next one next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>